This is the fourth Sunday for our sermon series called In Christ. Uh, Constance, do you have the clicker with you? Ah, there we go. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out, but you, you had it last, so <laughs> thank you. In Christ, in Christ. A study of the book of Philippians, and we are halfway through today. Uh, we are in our fourth session out of eight. And this coincides with the study we're doing in our small group. So if you're part of, part of a small group, you would already uh, be going through this study together. And if you're not already part of a small group, I do want to extend that invitation to you. If you're interested uh, to participate in that, let me know. Uh, we have groups that meet on different days during the week. The goal of this series is to help us focus, to think about what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to follow Jesus, which is a crucial part of this church, as stated in our mission statement. Uh, if you're a member, can we read it together? Follow Jesus be truly loved, be fully known. That's our mission statement at EC. And so far, we have looked at these three topics. Confident in Christ, living in Christ, and one in Christ. And so if you're curious, uh, you can go online and you can check out those sermons we had in the past. And today, we will continue the series by looking at the topic obedient in Christ, obedient in Christ. And we'll be reading today from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 18. I want to invite us to listen as I read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Well, we'll read, yeah, until 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray again. Father God, we just want to ask that you open our hearts to receive your word. Give us wisdom and understanding and give us courage and honesty to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, over the past several weeks, uh, a brother who works in the health and medical industry shared this with me about his work. Um, there seems to be a type or category of clients that goes to uh, this brother who don't really come in uh, for diagnosis, but they really come in with a self-diagnosis of sorts. They, they think they know what is wrong with them, 
And all they want to do is for there to be a professional, a medical professional, to either prescribe the drugs or the medication that they are looking for or they think they need and to treat them according to their perceived needs. Now, some of them would even be very persistent or insistent about their self-diagnosis. They're not ready to listen to the professional's advice. Is this how we see Christianity? Do we see Jesus as our spiritual medical consultant? Do we see Jesus as just simply someone who we paid with our good works and our outward obedience in exchange for living the life we desire? Is that how we think of Jesus? Now, the main point of my sermon today is this. Obedience is submitting to God's diagnosis and treatment. Obedience, what is it? Obedience is submitting to God's diagnosis and treatment. Now, today's message, I'll just focus on two verses that we've read. Verse 12 and 13. Let's read it together, shall we? Verse 12 to 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, these verses, some of you may be very familiar with, but if read out of context, we become, you know, can be, become difficult to understand and confusing. Why does Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, urge believers to work out their own salvation? Isn't salvation a gift, God, a gift from God according to His grace? and there's nothing we can do to earn it? What does it mean to work out your own salvation? Now, last week, if you were here, uh, you would hopefully remember that I introduced us to uh, the difference between positional forgiveness and relational forgiveness. Now, I don't have time this morning to review that, but I encourage you to review that online. But likewise, today's passage is not talking about how we obtain salvation. It is not talking about that. Paul, in his letter, assumes his audience's identity in Christ. Paul calls them my beloved. These are fellow believers who have already received God's grace through faith in Christ. Now, this verse about working out one's own salvation is about how we should actively live out or express outwardly the salvation we have already received. Now, there's a statement in our small group studies that I find helpful for us to remember this concept or this principle. So if you're participating in the small group um, study, uh, you would have come across this. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. 
But Christianity, on the other hand, says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. You see, as followers of Christ, we are accepted first before we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey God. And for Paul, faith in Christ is ultimately expressed as obedience to Christ. It is an expression of our faith. It is a result of our faith in Christ. Obedience is not what earns us acceptance. And so obedience, not in the sense of following a set of rules, but of coming totally under God's lordship, of being devoted completely to Him. You see, salvation... Now, I don't know who has introduced the gospel to you in the past, but salvation is not only something believers receive. It is also something we concurrently do, something we display and live out. And so to work out one's own salvation is to carry out in our individual as well as corporate, as in together, the community life, the salvation that God has graciously given us. But if we read on, Paul is very quickly to qualify that in order for believers to work out their salvation, they need God to work in their lives. Again, in order to work out our salvation, we need God to work in our lives. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work. Paul here reminds believers that your desire to will and your ability to work out salvation in your life is enabled by God who works in each believer's heart and in the church. So without God's empowerment, in your life, without God's empowerment in our church, we would neither have the will nor the ability to obey Christ. And the practical outcome of obedience to Christ is in verse 14 that we haven't read, well, we did read earlier on, uh, but here it is, is that we will do all things without grumbling or disputing. In other words, if we trust God to be working in our lives and that He is actively transforming us from the inside so we can grow in our desire and ability to obey Him and be more like Jesus, then slowly grumbling and questioning and disputing becomes a thing of the past. Now, the intermediate hardship, the suffering that we endure now, are God-given opportunities for us to repent from our sins and to enter into a blessed life. That's the new worldview we can come to when we obey Christ. Now, as God works in us, we gain both the desire and ability to work out our salvation by obeying Christ. And then Paul says this, we are to work out our salvation with fear, and trembling, with fear and trembling. 
Now, to understand this, help us understand this, there's another place where Paul uses this term. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians, another letter from Paul to another church. Chapter 2, starting verse 1, Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except, Christ, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here we see that Paul associates fear and trembling with being in weakness. But this weakness is not a sense of dread, not a sense of dejection or sadness, no. But it comes from his awe and reverence towards God. Paul traveled from city to city, proclaiming the gospel, not so that he could become famous, but so that Jesus Christ can become famous. And also, he doesn't want people to think that he's doing it out of his own wisdom and his own abilities, but that he's relying entirely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so likewise, in the context of Philippians, of which we're studying today, Paul is calling believers to remember that it is the power of God that works in them. To be obedient to Christ in fear and trembling is to say that we are to live out the gospel as one who knows that it means Someone who knows what it means to be in awe as we stand before the living God. Are we in fear of trembling of the living God? In other words, to recall from our early illustration, Christ is not our hired hand. He is not a mere consulting professional to help us sail through the troubles and turbulence of life as we see fit. In fact, He is the author. He is the sustainer. And He is the perfecter of our lives. Working out and applying the salvation that He has begun in our lives is not a casual or light matter. And then finally, to top it all up, Paul writes at the end of verse 13 that God transforms us. He empowers us and enables us to obey Him for what? For His good pleasure. Our total submission under His Lordship and complete devotion to Him is what pleases Him. God tells us very clearly, as Christians, we don't have to second-guess we don't have to worry. We don't have to doubt how we are to please God. We know how to please God. We please God by offering our genuine, wholehearted obedience to Him. Now, easier said than done, right? What does it mean then 
What does it mean to be obedient to God? What does it look like for you and me? I hope I'm not going too fast. But let's take a moment to just think, what does obedience look for you and me? Now, for some of us, when we think about obedience, we think about the ability to do exactly what you're told, don't we? If I tell you to do this, you do exactly that, that's obedience. A dog is like that. Like this dog here, with some training, it will do tricks for you, you know, for you to, uh, as long as you provide some reward for uh, like a small treat at the end. Or maybe the image that comes to your mind is a, is a moral checklist. You know, let's, let's say last week, the pastor told me to forgive others. I didn't get into any dispute this week, so check. You know, or I give regularly to the church. Check. Is that obedience? Now, neither of these ideas of obedience is wrong. I just want to be clear. We do want to do what God tells us to do. We do want to submit to the statutes that God has placed in our hearts and in His Word. However, I, I, want to, I want to help us to get to the heart of the issue this morning. Most of us here at EEC are super smart. Most of you are much smarter than I am. And you're super successful people, according to all standards. Many of you are industrious, diligent, and trained to handle and solve various complex issues in life. But do these qualities actually make us, or makes it easier, or does it make it harder for us to be obedient in Christ? Do these qualities that we hold and we celebrate, do, they, do these qualities make it easier or harder for us to obey Christ? At the beginning of, of, uh, of his ministry, Jesus called for Levi, a tax collector. Now, a tax collector is someone that the society in first century Palestine despises. And uh, um, the Jewish people would call them traitors because they collect taxes for a foreign government uh, that they don't feel is legitimate. Legitimate. But Jesus calls Levi to follow him and become his disciple. And so we read in Mark chapter 2 uh, that he asks, that he calls for Levi to follow. He says, follow me. And then Levi rose and followed him. And has, he reclined at table in his house. So Jesus reclined at the table of Levi's house. Many tax collectors, like other tax collectors and other sinners, were also there with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Now, verse 16, starting verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Are you a sinner? 
How exactly have you sinned against God? Or sinned against others? Do you truly admit to your need for Christ's full and complete healing? What are your reservations? I quoted this last week and I'll quote it again. First John uh, chapter 1, verse 8 to 10 writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yet if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and His word is not in us. God is the great physician. He's the great doctor. He created us and He fully knows us. And because He also truly loves us and does not desire any of us to perish, He revealed Himself to us through His living Word, the Scriptures, and through His Son, Jesus Christ. And His diagnosis for us is clear and true. We have sinned against Him. We can't help ourselves but to continue to sin against Him. Our relationship with Him and others are broken because we do not trust Him. But there is a treatment for us as well. It's not just a diagnosis, but there's a treatment for us as well. We need to confess our sins so that we can be forgiven and cleansed. Because God will not cleanse us if we don't confess them. In fact, if we do not confess our sins today, we remain against God. So the question comes down to, do we trust in our own diagnosis that we're good enough, that maybe we just didn't do much wrong, or that we can do enough right to right our wrongs? Or do we need to confess our sins so that we can be forgiven and cleansed? Do we want God to just feed us only what we determine to be beneficial to us? And then we cover the gospel of Jesus with our own pride? Or are we willing to receive the true and perfect treatment for God, from God to die to ourselves, to admit and confess our sins, and to receive forgiveness? This is the heart of the matter. Before we come to any list, before we come to any moral standards, this is the heart of the matter. This is what is at heart of obedience. Do we accept and agree with God's diagnosis and treatment for our lives? Pray with me, if you will. Follow me in my confession, if you will, as I pray. 
fill in your own confessions to God at the end. Oh Lord, oh Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. How sinful am I, Lord, I th- to think that this world and even you, Lord, revolve around me and my interpretation of your world. Society tells me that life should be this way, so God, I preoccupied myself in asking you to give me life package in this way only. I confess that's, that's wrong. God, I, I have thanked you for saving me and thanked you for making me who I am. But help me understand what this renewing of the mind even means. No, I, I, I don't think I need it. If anything, others should conform to how I think about all matters. People need to empathize with me, my feelings, my hurt. Circumstances and people's attitude need to change in order to conform with my desires and my needs. God, now I know I, I, don't, I don't know how I should live. I've had enough with the ways I see the world. The way I chose to see the world just made me angry, bitter, worried, anxious, lustful for more, discontent. It made me depressed. God, I want you in my life. I want your living word to transform my thinking. Jesus, you said you are the way, the truth, and the life. And you are the ultimate healer of the sick. And Lord, I am sick. I am sick. And I need your healing. name. Amen. Beloved of Emmanuel Church, to obey Christ is to believe and trust in Him to be the great physician of your life, your spirit, your soul, your whole body. His diagnosis for you is accurate and true because He fully knows you of you and his treatment to completely heal you and to restore you is also true because he truly loves you today he's calling you to follow him he's called me to follow him continually to completely submit to him and his compassionate plan for you a plan that is revealed to us through scripture through his living word a plan that is illuminated by the Holy Spirit that dwells in all those who trust in the Lord. 
obedience is submitting to God's diagnosis and treatment for you. Will you follow Jesus? Will you open your heart to Him and approach His throne of grace through prayer to receive the help you need? And will you read and meditate on the word of life that is breathed out by God to teach, reprove, correct, and train you for righteousness so that you may complete and equipped for every good work? Amen.